Our text of emphasis this morning is found in Romans chapter 3 and starting with verse 20. It says there this, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his patience he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold it. We're in the midst of a uh, fall sermon series exploring the essentials, where we're taking a look at uh, those uh, elements of uh, Christianity that really uh, set it apart, that make it what it is, and make those who are, are followers of Jesus really followers of Jesus. And so s- several weeks ago, we looked at the topic of sin. What is sin? Last week, Dr. Wisby from La Sierra came and shared a, with us on the topic of God. What is a God? And you can catch up on all of these subjects at adventhope.org. Our subject today is what is the law? What is the law? Why don't we pray? Oh God, as we consider your words, we pray for open minds and understanding on who you are and who we are and the kind of relationship that you're calling us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, What is law? The uh, first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, are are called or referred to as uh, Torah, as law. Our Jewish friends uh, in the Torah have identified 600, long before, by the way, I should mention before Christianity was on the scene, have identified 613 mitzvah or commandments within the Torah. These are instructions first articulated Uh, by God to Moses when God used Moses to bring the the Hebrew people out of slavery, which they had been in in for 400 
years. And so he's trying to establish a society with this group of people. And so he introduces them to these commandments, these instructions. And there are 613 of them in the Torah. Within the 613 commandments can be identified specific categories. Categories for in, on, with instructions for how to, say, treat the poor. Or, ha- or how to have healthy sexual relationships, or uh, what to eat, how to live healthfully, and how to conduct business, and so on, and so on, and so on. Again, God was trying to establish this group of people um, and give them uh, a, a means to thrive as a society. And so he's installing all these instructions for them how to uh, live. Uh, astute Bible students have uh, also... Uh, comment on the fact that there are these uh, Ten Commandments that are probably the most uh, famous of all of the instructions that God has given, but uh, all of the other 603 mitzvah instructions can actually be categorized under a uh, commandment. And so I don't have the chart for you. You can go and look it up. Smart people have, have, have come up with this, but you know, you have the, the, the first four uh, commandments that uh, Jesus articulated as being in relation our relationship with God, who God is, and calling us to to uh, embrace a relationship with Him. And then the last uh, six commandments are uh, concerning our relationship with each other. But then a more even detailed uh, uh, categorization, uh, putting each of the 613 mitzvah uh, commandments instructions under each uh, commandment. And so we see this really kind of detailed and complex thing that is uh, what we think of as the uh, law. Now, something to consider as we think about the introduction of uh, the law in its original setting is that how God delineated between the, the Ten Commandments, these, uh, st- these uh, structural instructions, and the rest of the 613. In Exodus chapter 25, we read, Uh, these words, and this is God communicating with Moses while Moses is up on a mountain talking with him. And God says to him, have the people make an ark, a box of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. So we're talking about a little wooden box. Overlay the wooden box with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it, and then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. And so he's talking about the, what we know of as the Ten Commandments, which were written on the front and the back and had two copies. And so the idea was God's telling Moses, go build this little special ark. You know, we're probably all familiar with this ark from the great film, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Any fans of Indiana Jones here? An actual clap. I feel like there was a clap there. Yeah, good, Sandra. Good. Welcome back, Sandra, by the way. Um, so, you know, according to Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones found the ark that has been missing for all of these years. Um, with that said, Spielberg did his homework. The ark, you know, Bible students say that's, that's pretty good representation of probably what the ark looked like, size and, and in feel. And so you have this box, this gold box. Inside are the Ten Commandments as God instructs. And then on top is this thing called the mercy seat. And it's two angels facing each other, and it was to go on Uh, top of the ark with the Ten Commandments inside. And when this was set in the middle of the camp 
of the, of the Israelites in this special tent for worship, uh, the idea that it was that God would come and sit on the mercy seat. And so he would sit between the angels, and under him would be the Ten Commandments in this uh, gold box. And our call to worship today, uh, we were reminded that God says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This is a direct allusion to the Ten Commandments sitting in this special box. And so we see God making a special emphasis that this law, that these commandments are indeed important, that he cares about them, and he's even creating this whole system, and they are at the a center of this a system. But then the narrative continues on in, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, and in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 31, we get the story of Moses toward the end of his life, and he's been working with the people for all of these years now, and he uh, finishes writing whether for the first time or another copy, all of the Torah, again, all of the first five books. And Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 24 says this, After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, so he wrote all of the, the, the Torah again, all the 613, all the instructions again. He gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So there's the Ark again. He said, uh, take the, the book of the law. Now take the whole thing. So you've got the Ten Commandments, and they're inside this ark. But now I want you to take all the commandments, all 613 in these books, which were actually uh, Torah scrolls, and place them on the outside of the uh, ark, or beside the ark. This is the instruction of the Lord. And so the idea was you had this box, you had this mercy seat that God was going to sit on. Inside was the were the Ten Commandments, and then on the side were these Torah uh, scrolls, these other 613 instructions that all made up the law. And then you have to love uh, Moses here in verse uh, 26. He says, there this law will remain as a witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you've been re rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive, how much more will, will you rebel and die? It sounds like a parent, right? It's like... <laughs> You go in with a babysitter, and uh, I know how you are when I'm here. You can only imagine what it's going to be like when I'm, when I'm gone. And so Moses ha is a little bit cynical about the people's ability to keep this extensive uh, law. And so, again, we have the Ten Commandments inside the ark, and the remaining rest of the Torah are in scrolls on the side of the ark. Now, with all of this Im imagery, there is no way around the fact that uh, Apparently, God really, really cares about law. I mean, he goes into all this uh, detail. He makes sure that uh, the law, the physical law is going to have, the written law is going to have a special place amongst the people. And it just, he's putting a high priority on it amongst the, the Israelites at the, at the time. And yet, as we think about it, we recognize that the need for for law is essentially uh, tied to the sin problem in the first place, which again we talked about two weeks ago. It is because of sin, this broken relationship that we have with God and with each other, that the law is even necessary in the first place. Our text of emphasis says that uh, through the law we become conscious of sin, that the, the law and sin are related. 
And that if, if in essence, if there wasn't sin in the universe, there wouldn't be the need for written uh, law. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.8 says this, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We'll come back to that in just a minute. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. The implication is that the law is necessary for those who are in broken relationship with God and with each other. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says this, The law was brought in so that trespass might increase. And the idea here is that law was needed because of the state of the broken world. That law is made for lawbreakers and rebels. Those who are, are, are living not in right relationship with God, they need the written the law. And that the law is for those who aren't living uh, properly. Now here's the problem. Uh, the problem is that we are all rebels, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, I'm a rebel. You're a rebel. We're all rebels because we're all living in broken relationship with uh, each other and certainly with uh, God. And, of course, this explains really the deep and disturbing frictions that we experience not only in our life but that we see in this uh, broken world, a world where war continues to go on, where uh, economic disparity is as bad as it's ever been, where social injustice continues, where uh, interpersonal strife continues. And these, again, aren't new things. These are things that have been going on for, for ages, for, for, for a millennium. Of course, uh, the Bible explains that this goes really all, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3-1, and we won't read there, but the story of how uh, this brokenness, this world and, its, and its, its despair is really part of the narrative story way back to the very beginning. And so we are all a rebels. And so God is like, hey, i got to bring in the law for rebels. The reality is that we are all uh, rebels. And so that leads us to the next question, and that is, well, why, why hasn't the law worked? Why hasn't the law uh, worked? I mean, why hasn't good law fixed the brokenness problem, the sin problem? I mean, it seems that, um, you know, if the purpose of the law is to kind of help people understand, you know, what, uh, what's going on, that uh, once we have that understanding rationally, we would be able to adapt and get our act together once we see where the problems lie. Uh, why hasn't the law uh, worked? Well, again, the law was never designed to fix sin, to fix the brokenness. The law is designed, again, according to our text of emphasis today, to reveal sin, not to fix sin. Law was not designed to fix the sin problem. Law was designed to reveal the sin problem. Uh, again, Romans 3.20, no one will be declared good in God's sight by their own works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious, become aware of the brokenness in our own lives and the brokenness in the world. The law was introduced so that people would become conscious. Ah, oh, oh, that's what's going on. Um, I was having, I was having lunch with uh, some Advent Hopers, and we were talking about like important business. And I had the, 
This was up in, um, where were we, New, New Canaan in Connecticut. Uh, and I had the wild mush mushroom omelet with extra wild. Bada boom. You guys, everybody okay? We're doing good? We had the kids sing, you feeling okay? Okay, I had the wild mushroom omelet. And I had that early in the conversation. And then, and it had lots of herbs in it. It was delicious. And then I went to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and you know what was in my teeth. Big old herb. It was a... Now, I mean, I cannot tell you how serious the conversation was that I was having. I mean, we were really into it. We were talking about some missional stuff, and we're you know, talking about where we're going. And so I go in that bathroom, I see big old, I, it didn't just, I mean, I had stopped eating solidly 25 minutes before that, which meant that herb was up in the teeth for all that whole time, just sitting there. This is the, the sin problem, right? You know, you, it's, it's in there, and sometimes you don't even know it's there. And then the idea that God gives to us is the law is designed to help us see the big old herb in our teeth, the, the, the sin problem. And so we look in the mirror. James describes the law as the mirror. We look in the mirror. We recognize where we are broken, where we're off base. We see the herb in our teeth, and we recognize that something has got to Something has got to change. But the problem is that most uh, people have learned to misuse the law, to misuse a law. And so there are two great errors when it comes to law. Now, I would suggest that while we're talking about a, a religious thing here, as, as many, many of us have kind of embraced religion at some sense, that this transcends religion, this, this issue of a law uh, problem, because uh, most people uh, fall into these two uh, traps, these two errors of misusing the law. We either place too much importance on law or too little. Too much importance or too little. The first error when it comes to law is often referred to as legalism. Legalism, and I think back to that passage in First Timothy that we read a little bit earlier, First Timothy chapter one verse eight, which is one of my new favorite passages. It says this: We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. If one uses it properly, that's First Timothy one eight and nine, or, or eight and then on into nine. We know that the law is good. The law is a good thing. Clearly, God is in the law. He spends all this time introducing law, and He introduces it in a in a compelling way. But it's only good if it's used uh, properly. And the problem is, particularly in religion, but not just in religion. Oftentimes, the law is not used properly. It's 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 overemphasized. Uh, Legalism is, again, I would suggest a universal problem. It's certainly a religious problem. It's certainly a Christian problem, and it is undoubtedly an Adventist a problem. So now we can speak amongst ourselves. I recognize not everyone here is Christian or, or, or religious or, or certainly Adventist, but if we can just take a little moment and be reflective on our Adventism. You know, Adventism often as a group and sometimes as an individual fall in the trap of embracing the, the mindset of 
a legalism. And legalism goes something like this, that by our own ability, once we recognize law and how good it is, by our own ability and hard work and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, we're going to figure out how to get our act together and we're going to become the good people that God uh, wants us to, to be. And uh, this often, this idea of legalism comes out of a just love for uh, law. Now, for those, again, with a little Adventist history here, so, you know, Adventists, they were, they were people, they were Methodists and they were Baptists, and they started to read their Bibles and they started to recognize that, hey, some things that they were learning in their, in their other tradition didn't line up with the Bible, and they got very excited about knowing information that nobody else uh, knew. But in particular, they came to this idea of seven-day Sabbath, right, which is a commandment. And they thought to themselves, oh, nobody else knows this, or very few people uh, know this. And so this is kind of our thing, We're, this, this idea of Sabbath. And all you all, have been wor- you've been worshiping on the wrong day. We got the right day. And so got, Adventists got very, very excited about this idea of, of law and how important law was and how they had kind of a unique understanding on law. You guys with me here, by the way? Well, so sometimes when you, you get really excited about something, you can get a little bit over excited about something and put it at too high a level. And this is really the root of, of legalism. And so, uh, again, I would suggest to you that legalism has been a problem, not just in religion, that uh, non-religious people are oftentimes legalists, uh, too. In fact, uh, even atheists. Uh, Because if you ask anyone, I mean, most people have some kind of moral code that they adhere to, and they acknowledge that, you know, as long as you're doing or not doing these things, you're a good person, whether you believe in God or not. And, And that's really the root of legalism. Legalism is that you are defined, your identity is defined on how good you are, whatever your moral standard is, well, again, for Adventists, this has been a particular challenge, and part of it comes through this idea that, wow, we found something special in the law. Um, but again, we are not a, alone, and the idea is you just try a little bit harder, you just get your act together, and you're going to have that breakout moment that you need to become the kind of person that you want to be. Now, um, the reality is it, it, it doesn't work, just trying harder getting your act together by pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps does not uh, work. You can try very, very hard to get your act together, and you can make some, some headway, but at the end of the day, our rebellious nature often takes over, and we just, we just can't get it together. We might have a little success, but the idea of just transforming ourselves, rarely, rarely does that happen. I think of just... Uh, myself last week, so Sarah and the, uh, and the kids and the boy, they went to stay with Grammy and Papa. That's grand, grandfather and grandmother, for, for those who are unaware of grand, in Louisville, Kentucky for a whole week. And then they had to stay over an extra day. And that meant that I was here all by myself. I was just here with you guys, hanging out in New Canaan, eating wild mushroom omelets. Um, so you know what I did during that time? I was really proud of myself. I got up almost every morning at Risto, and I worked out. So my workout phase in that week was better, was more, had more success than the rest of the, the year combined. I did more working out. I was more sore in that, in that time. So every morning, I got up and, and worked out, and I felt 
pretty good about myself. So then when Sarah came home, I was just a little bit like, is she going to notice? You know, you know, you know six days, you're not going to notice anything. Um, just a little, little tighter than... Um, so they've been home now, I don't know, what, Levi, three days? How much have I worked out? Zero. Now, I don't want to blame them, <laughs> but it's their fault. No. Um, you know, we have the best of intentions. You're just going to, we're going to get it together and, oh, I've been successful. You know, I've three or four uh, days or I've, I've, I think I've overcome this thing that I've been wanting to overcome my, my, my whole life and I'm going to do it and you have some success and you get really excited about yourself and then what happens? That rebellious nature takes over and before you find it, you're, you're back to where you, you started again. And so this, this idea of legalism, we're just going to get it together, and I'm so close, and if I, this would happen, or just try a little harder, I'm going to get it together. To get together. So that's one great error of, of, of faith, legalism. The other side, though, is also problematic, and that's the idea that law doesn't, doesn't matter, that it's unnecessary. And so oftentimes one follows the other. You try really hard, and then you recognize, well, I can't really get it together. So you're like, well, nothing matters. Law doesn't matter. They're all just arbitrary Anyway, and uh, we fall in the trap of uh, law is meaningless. So legalism and antinomianism, anti-law, these are the two great uh, errors of law. But what we find is that God is neither uh, apathetic about the law or, or a believer in the human ability to keep law. Uh, I mean, in many respects, Moses, in his cynicism about human ability, was speaking for God. You rebels. I mean, what, what did Moses say? Let me go back to Moses. I love it. I love what he said. He says, take this book of the law. Just hear it dripping in his... Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. There it will remain as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you've been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive with you, how much more will you rebel when I die? See, Moses was cynical about the people because he'd spent all this time with the people, and they had always said, in fact, when the the law was first introduced to the people, Moses came, came and gave them the law, and they said, oh, everything that you say, we will do. And then, you know, two days later, they're not following, and on and on and on and on. And so this is God's experience. Hey, y'all are rebels. God is cynical about our ability to get our own act together, and for good, good reason. Uh, so that leaves us with another question, and that is, well, what hope do we have? Right? If we have this problem in our relationship with the Law, and we can't get our act together, but God is also not apathetic about law. He, law is a good thing, um, but we just can't figure it out. What hope do we have? Neither ignoring the law nor strictly keeping the law is going to get it together for us. What hope do we have? Well, the rest of Romans chapter 3 tells us the answer. In verse 21, it says this Now, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So we've had this thing, the law, it was designed to help you to see where you're broken. 
to help you to see where your relationship with each other and your relationship with God is broken. But now, apart from this law that was designed to help you see where you're broken, a righteousness, a goodness has come from God, to which the law and the prophets testify, by the way. This goodness, this righteousness, is through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. There's no difference, by the way, between Jew and Gentile. This is a beautiful message, why there's no, this is not based on your ethnicity or your social status or how much, you know, money you have. That, that this idea that Jesus has come and is available to anyone who, who believes is really about anyone. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, Gentile, for everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Everyone is a rebel and living in broken relationship with our brothers and sisters in humanity and with God. But all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so the message is very simple. As we uh, express simply faith, in Jesus, recognizing our own brokenness and inability to keep the law, God is able to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Everyone who expresses this faith, faith that God has done what we couldn't do, is counted as a keeper of the law. Romans chapter 3, verses 25 to 26. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by all in faith. We're landing the plane here, but another and, and, and close to final question, how does Jesus have the ability to uh, do this? We'll read, we read in Matthew chapter uh, 4 this narrative of Jesus, and this is right after he was introduced as a as a preacher. It says this in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, uh, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the word of God. What Jesus is doing, by the way, is referencing the, the mitzvah, the, the commandments, one of the six thirteen. So when Jesus is, is attempts, tempted, he refers back to the law. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, uh, he who will, who will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him, it is written. He's back to the mitzvah. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written in the law, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Jesus kept the law. He was a keeper of the law. And when he was attempted, his comfort was to go to the law and say, hey, I know what a broken relationship with God is like. I know what a broken relationship with humanity is like because I am familiar with the law because he wrote the law. When Jesus was faced with temptation, he quoted mitzvah. Jesus 
uh, faithfulness here is sufficient for all of us. This is the Christian story. Now, that does leave us again with a last question. How does Jesus uh, doing what we could not do affect us? Have you guys heard of um, Kenyan, Kenyan runner Eliud Kipoje? Uh, he is working with Nike. Today's message is sponsored by Nike. Everyone under your seats, free Nikes. Um, he's working with Nike because he's so very close to breaking the two-hour mark for a marathon. Two hours to run a marathon. Some of you are marathon runners here. Anyone close to two hours yet? No, because you have to be ridiculous to run two hours. He, he ran the 2017 uh, Berlin Marathon in uh, two minutes, uh, two hours, three minutes. Three minutes. That's really, uh, really fast. If I uh, were to go out and try to run a marathon, I would get to 96th Street and then collapse. Um, some of you are better than, than, than me. Some of you have actually run marathons. Um, very impressive. Nobody here is anywhere close to two hours and three minutes, right? So how does this work? I mean, if I'm running in the New York City Marathon and Eliud's running in, in the marathon, when we get to the end, I, I don't get to be like, hey, two minutes, two hours, right? It doesn't work that way for me. And yet this is the, the narrative of the Bible. The Bible says that this is exactly how it works, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It doesn't work for the New York City Marathon. I don't get to count Eliud's score as my own score. They will kick me out as a cheater and there will be a very small, because nobody cares, but a very small article in somewhere saying pastor of the Adventist church cheats in New York City Marathon. It will probably be in the Gleaner. We have this little silly magazine. Did I say silly? I mean, super important magazine. Can we erase that? Really nice magazine that somebody produces that's like around for us, and it would say, Pastor cheats in New York City Marathon if we did this. But this is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that what God has done on our behalf, we get to count for ourselves. God made him who had sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Where is boasting then, Romans 3 says? Where is boasting? We don't get to boast because what God has done, he has done. As we, in faith, embrace that God can do his work in us and, 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 and count his righteousness for us, his goodness for us, and he can keep the law for us. God is able to do his transformative work in our lives, not just for things in the past, but for now and for the future. And so the good news is that God is at work and has been at work in the story of Jesus on our behalf. And may the, the promise of Jeremiah 31, 33 be the promise for us today that I will make the people my people, God says. And I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. May this be true for Advent Hope today.
Amen.